All right, so we are going to take a break today um, from our normal uh, series in the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we're going to look uh, this week and next week at, uh, you know, this week we'll look at the cross, next week we'll look at the resurrection, um, but uh, it is Palm Sunday, and so um, kind of the way we celebrate it in the American church is, um, you know, so we remember this week, that, that last week of Jesus, and we go from Sunday, the Palm Sunday, which is, uh, marks the uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem, um, all the way until Friday when Jesus is actually crucified. And so it's amazing to me when you really think about it in those terms that we're talking five days um, for, for the Jewish people to welcome uh, Jesus as a Savior and then crucify him on the cross. Um, and so how quickly sentiment can change, how quickly the attitudes can change. And so this week... Um, uh, I always try to, to kind of mark the days and remember. And so we remember Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry on Sunday. Um, Thursday is when we remember the Last uh, Supper. We call it Monday Thursday. And then Friday we remember the crucifixion, a good Friday. And then, of course, Resurrection Sunday. And so um, I wanted to look at um, Palm Sunday. Is really looking at the idea for us this week leading up to Good Friday um, is really think and dwell on what the cross means to us. Why, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Why did God go to that extent or that extreme? What did he have in mind and what does that mean for us as people who believe in Jesus, believe that he's our Savior, believe that he's died for us? Because when we really understand the cross and understand why God sent Jesus to the cross, uh, I think it begins to change some ways that we interact with God um, and it gives us some boldness in approaching him. And so... Um, we're going to be in Romans chapter 5, and I'll have it up on the screen, but Romans chapter 5. So we're going to kind of be, uh, take a big uh, chunk of it, and then we're really going to break it down and focus really on like the last two verses, uh, but I'm going to read a bigger chunk of it because I want to give us some context. Um, so if you don't have a Bible, we do have some on the back table, um, so if you don't have one at home, take that with you um, as our gift to you. Um, but Romans 5, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love, this is important, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I think Romans 5.8 is one of the most important scriptures in, all, <laughs> in the whole Bible. But God show his, shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, 
For while we were enemies uh, with him from the wrath of God, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So uh, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be, be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Um, so the first thing I kind of want to point out is just uh, is a theme. I'm going to kind of go back to our Sermon on the Mount series. Is a theme we've been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount series, and that's um, so often as Americans we approach Scripture as it pertains to us. You know, so it's it's my faith, it's my Savior, it's it's my Bible, it's my. And when we start looking at Scripture and understanding the culture of the time, they were not individualistic people. They were a community. Everything is approached as a community. And so, um, for instance, the Apostle Paul that we read here uses the term our Lord over 50 times in his writings in the New Testament. He uses the term my Lord once. And so we can see that as Paul writes, as we're meant to interact with this, the idea is we're supposed to come to this as a group of people together, as, as a church body, as a collective. And so it's not just my Savior, it's our Savior. It's not just my faith, it's our faith. It's not just my walk, it's our walk. With the idea being that we were never meant to do this alone. We were never meant to do this by ourselves. And so I want to go back and look real quick at that first section before we get to those really important verses uh, in 8, 9, and 10. But I love this. In verse 5 it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, the first thing that the cross brings us is it brings us peace with God. And so, so many times we talk about that we have a faith, uh, we have a... Uh, we have a belief in Jesus, and that brings us peace because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And really, I want us to understand that the cross answers for us the biggest unrest in our lives. Because before the cross of Christ, before uh, Jesus sacrificed for our sins, um, as it says later, we were enemies with God. We were, we were against God. And so as we look at that scripture, as we look at that verse, we need to understand that we have now been justified. So the idea that we've been justified by faith is the idea that we have been made just. We have been made righteous. So we have to understand that it's not a righteousness that we earn on our own. It's not a righteousness that we deserve or that we get, but it's that on the cross, Jesus made us righteous. And so because of that, we've been justified, so we're no longer uh, enemies with God. And so for us, I think this is so important for people that already believe in Jesus, because so often uh, we allow sin and shame to speak to us as though we're enemies of God still. All right, so we fall, we mess up, um, we have tough situations in our life, tough relationships, and we take and internalize that shame as I can't approach God. I can't go to church. I can't take communion. I can't fellowship with the believers. I can't tell anybody else what I'm struggling with uh, because for fear of what a bad Christian they would think I was. But when we understand all right, that we've now been justified by faith, we're no longer enemies. And so when we take shame and put it on ourselves, it's almost as if we're trying to undo the cross. So I know Jesus died for my sins, 
But if he really knew my sins, he wouldn't have died. If he really knew my struggles, I, I, don't, I don't deserve it. He'd, he'd be mad at me. He wouldn't want me to come near. I shouldn't go to church and talk about these struggles and these things I'm dealing with. When as we look, that's exactly why Christ died, so he could bring us into the community of faith so that we walk with uh, not just something... Timothy, go sit by Rex and Randy. So we walk as though uh, not being enemies with God, but we come to him. And so when we truly understand what the cross of Christ has brought to us, we live with that peace. That peace knowing that I am loved and I am accepted. So even when I screw up, even when I get in trouble, that doesn't put me outside of the community of faith. It doesn't put me outside of the love of the Father. But when I'm in trouble and when I'm struggling, this is exactly where I need to come. This is exactly where I need to be. This is exactly what I need to do is get with my brothers and sisters in Christ um, and bask in the love of God and the cross. And so the cross brings us that peace. So it says, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Uh, and so the next thing, so the cross brings us peace. The next thing that the cross brings us is it brings us access. It brings us access. So this says that it brings us access to the grace of God. And so we talk a lot about mercy and grace. So the idea of, of mercy is I don't get a punishment which I deserved. Grace is I get a blessing which I didn't deserve. And so a lot of times we look at the cross of Christ and, and the words we speak in church, a lot of times we just we talk about, well, we, we, we won't go to hell. We avoid the punishment. He took the, he took the shame, he took the reproach on himself, and we forget about the other half of that equation is that in the cross of Christ, he not only took our punishment, but he poured out his blessing on us. So Ephesians chapter 1 says that we've received every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus our Lord. It says that he gave us the Holy Spirit as a stamp, as a mark, as a guarantee of our inheritance. So think about, you know, in the old times when they would write a letter, all right, and they would want to make sure no one tampered with that letter, they would close the letter and they would seal it with a wax seal. So that's what Ephesians 1 says, the Holy Spirit is that wax seal on our lives. It's that guarantee that we are saved by God and we're going to be returning to God. And so when we look at the cross of Christ, it's not just the peace that it brings us, but it's the grace. It's the blessings that it brings us. Now, so often we think of those blessings in kind of monetary, physical terms of, of I have health, I have wealth, and that must mean I'm blessed by God. But really what we see Jesus come and talk about is not that he's going to restore a physical blessing to Israel, but that he's going to restore a spiritual blessing to Israel, which is by far way more important. Because through Jesus, I have grace. Through Jesus, next week we'll talk about the joy that we have in Christ and the idea that that joy is not tied to my health. It's not tied to my finances. It's not tied to my well-being. That's a joy that comes from God and can't be taken away, can't be shaken, can't be removed. So that spiritual blessing we have in Christ is far greater than any physical blessing that we could be given because it's one that remains. And that's that relationship that we have with the Father because of Christ Jesus. 
Uh, so we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the main thing I want us to take away today that we get from the cross of Christ is we get the love of God. The love of God. Now, one of the most important things when we look at Scripture and we look at context, um, the Greek language is a little bit different than, than ours. Um, uh, the Greek language has way more words than the English language has. And so often um, we will look at uh, a word that in Greek has six different words for it, and we have one word in English. So love is one of those. Uh, so in love, there are Greek words that, uh, that mean brotherly love. There are um, words that mean like a romantic love. But the love that is used here, uh, the Greek word is agape. And what that means is a holy, sacrificing love. So the idea is that God didn't just love us in a friendly way. God didn't just love us in a, in a romantic way, but he loved us uh, in a deep abiding way in which he was willing to sacrifice for that love. So when we talk about the love of God, embedded in that is this idea of sacrifice, that he was willing to give of himself for us. And so I love this, that not only uh, do we have God's love poured out on the cross for us, so he's given us that example of love, that agape love, but it says that he has now poured that love into our hearts. And so if we go back to one of the prophecies in Isaiah is the idea that God would rewrite our hearts. That one of the reasons the people of Israel could never fully follow God is because their hearts weren't in it. Their hearts were wicked. They were just separated from God. And so God says there will come a day where I will write my law, who God is, who he is. He'll write that on our hearts. And we won't be able to get away from it. And so we see when Jesus dies on the cross and we accept that gift, God pours his love into us through the Holy Spirit. He reworks us. He rewrites our hearts. He makes us completely new creations. And so what I want to see from that is it's not just that God's love is shown to us, but it's poured inside of us. And so the challenge is when we think of the cross is not just to think of our struggle, is not just to think of our pain, is not just to think of our shortcomings, but it is to think of the same love that Jesus showed on the cross. He has poured into me. Why? So I can hold on to it, so I can keep it, so I can kind of hide it in my heart. No, the reason that love's been poured into us is so we can give that out to other people. So I love that Scripture says, and, and we've talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount, that um, others will know we are Christians by our love for one another. That our love should be so extreme, so radical, so different from the world around us, that it makes them take note. And why do they love so well? Why do they treat each other that way? Why, why do they treat each other in a way we don't see in the rest of the world? But it's because we have that deep, abiding, agape love. Because we've been given much grace, so we should pour out grace. We've been given much mercy, so we should pour out mercy. And that, that brings us to this next part. And like I said, this is uh, probably my favorite 
passage in all of, of Scripture. But it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so I I love that. So we serve uh, an um, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God. And sometimes that's hard for us to, to understand Because when you look at the attributes of God in that way, everything He is, we are not. So I am not all-knowing. I'm definitely not all-present. I'm not everywhere. Um, And I'm definitely not all-powerful. So I'm very limited in my knowledge. I'm very limited. I can be one place at one time. And I'm very limited in my power. And so everything we aren't, God is that, is that example. And so sometimes it's really hard to fully understand the wholeness of who God is. And so when we say that God loves us so much that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I don't want us to take that as a, well, yeah, I was a bad person and then I got saved and now I'm supposed to be a good person. I want us to take that for what it means. That means God knows you. He knows your flaws. He knows your mistakes. He knows your struggles. He knows my struggles tomorrow, and I haven't even walked into them yet. Knowing my struggles, knowing my rebellion, knowing my failures, knowing how I would fall short of what he's called me to do and called me to be, he loved me so much that while I was still a sinner, he sent Christ to die for me. And so, like I said earlier, when I think of the cross, and I I think of what uh, Jesus taking on my shame, taking on my reproach, so that I could be forgiven, what it speaks to me, what it speaks to me is the idea that I would have to clean myself up to approach him. It's crazy. That's what he has done on the cross, is he has made us who were not clean, he has made us clean. He has given us the authority in the cross to approach him, to have that relationship with him. And that's not just a one-time thing, but that's a continual blessing. I love Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave his life for me. So the idea is when we really understand the cross of Christ, this is not just something that has happened in the distance or in the past, but this is something that I... I've been crucified with Christ. So my sinful nature, my struggle, where I fall short tomorrow or the next day or the next day, that part of me was on the cross with Christ, was paid for, was dealt with. So because of that, because of his death, the life I now live, I live in his resurrection. I live in his forgiveness. I live in his freedom. And so I want us to really grab hold of that because I think when we grab hold of that for us uh, we begin to share that out in the way we treat other people all right so if I condemn myself and my actions so if if I'm always uh, upset with myself for falling short if I'm always critical with myself then what happens is I tend to be more critical with other people so nobody's worthy and so all I end up doing is pointing out the flaws in the world around me 
Well, they're not this and they're not that and they did this to me and they, that offended me and, and I'm struck, you know. And so, so often we get so used to this language of falling short and shame and failure that we just begin to spit it out. We begin to label everything that way. When Christ has come and died, not just for me, but he's died for you. Not just for me, but the persons whose views I found offensive, all right, God died for them too. That person that wronged me, that abused me, that mistreated me, he died for them too. And that's, that's why we have this idea that we should be able to forgive others. I'm not saying stay in abuse, but I'm saying we have a heart that releases, that forgives, that goes, it may not be good for me to be around you, but I believe in your value to God. And I hope you walk in that because I want to walk in that. And so when we begin to get out of that mode where we focus on the shame, where we focus on the guilt, where we focus on our failures, it not only changes our lives, but it begins to change the way that we treat the lives around us, the way that we treat um, our close family in our house, the way that we treat those that we work with, um, to the way that we treat friends on the Internet. All right, we should so radically love because we have been radically loved. We should radically forgive because we have been radically forgiven by Jesus Christ. And then I love this last part. For if while we were enemies, we were enemies. So if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Um, in Corinthians, Paul takes this a step further, and he actually calls us ministers of reconciliation with the idea that the moment we become reconciled to God, our purpose becomes... And, and so the word minister uh, in the New Testament is, is deaconi. It's, it's the word that uh, we use for like deacon. And so minister in, in the New Testament really means the idea to serve in a spiritual way. And so it's the same, um, same word that in uh, kind of in the Gospels where it says that like people came to Jesus and he served them. He met their needs. That's the same deacon I word. The idea that Jesus ministered to them. And so a lot of times we think of the word minister and we think of someone like this. Like I'm up here giving a sermon and that's ministry. But when we look at the way the word is used in the New Testament, the idea of ministry is like, I'm serving you. I am meeting a need that you have. I'm trying to take care of you. I'm trying to, 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 to do something good for you. And that's, that's that idea of ministry. And so Paul says we should be ministers of reconciliation. That as we go into the world, we should have keen eyes. So because we've been redeemed, we see what's broken. Now, the problem is a lot of times because Christians, we see what's broken, we, we tend to go like, hey, this is broken. That's broken. You're broken. You're broken. That's pretty messed up. Don't do that. That's broken. And really what scripture says is that we are not brokenness identifiers. All right. We are not the signpost to going, hey, this is broken. Stay away from that. But we are supposed to be ministers of reconciliation. In other words, when we see something broken, we should feel a need to flock to that and minister to that need. To make a difference. To go like, this area is broken. And I have the authority and the power through the Holy Spirit 
to redeem it, to make it whole, to help restore it to God's initial plan. Uh, one of my favorite scriptures in Isaiah, um, it says that uh, um, there will come a time uh, where the believers of God will become repairers of the breach. And I love that word, that idea that what was broken and what, was f- what got so messed up in the fall in the garden, that one day God would equip his followers that they could go in and repair that breach that happened. And so what we see so often is we live in a broken and fallen world with people who are hurting, people who are bitter, and people who are just flat out mean. Um, And our response to that shouldn't be heaping on the shame, heaping on the accusations, heaping on the abuse. Our response to that should be, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. So therefore, I've been made a minister of reconciliation. Right? Because he has forgiven me of much, I'm called to forgive much. Because he has restored me, I'm called to be a restorer. Because he has repaired me, I'm called to be a repairer. And so uh, it's, it's my belief that when the church is established and doing what God has called it to do on the earth, um, that the world's response is not, well, those are some really judgmental, mean people. Um, but the, the world's response is, I may not agree with everything, but I am strangely drawn to y'all. You know, y'all are some weird, nice people. I don't understand it, but I'm drawn to that, I'm drawn to that joy. I'm drawn to that presence. I'm drawn to that, that love and that togetherness. And so when I think of the cross of Christ, it's, it's not just a thanks for forgiving me, God. I guess I'll get to see you in heaven eventually. You know, I'm going to kind of hang out here for a while. But it's, the, it's that spurring on of everything good that's been given to me, I want to give out. All right, everything. And so the amazing thing about the economy of God, uh, so we think of our economy as a, if I have 10 bucks, if I give you 10 bucks, then I have no bucks. And so I've got to hoard my 10 bucks. I've got to keep it safe because I don't want to lose it. Um, but that's not the way the resources of God works. If I give out joy... I don't lose the joy I have. That joy actually gets magnified. If I give out love, I don't lose the love I have. That love gets magnified. If I give out grace or mercy, I don't lose the grace and mercy I have, but that gets magnified and it gets increased. So the idea is that when we come together as a body of Christ, moving and functioning as one, and we begin to serve the community around us, we see that grace and mercy and love of God increased in the world. And so to me, as I remember the cross, it's not just a remembrance of what Jesus has done for me. It's a challenge and a reminder of what God has called me to do. That I've been made, I've been reconciled. I was once an enemy with God, but I've been reconciled. And so now I'm called to be a minister of reconciliation. See, I'll stand to your feet. I want to pray for us before we move on with our week. All right. Um, Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you and I praise you that you are a, uh, that you've been a minister of reconciliation for me, Father. That even though I fail, even though I struggle, even though I'm not perfect, that while I was still a sinner, uh, you died for me. Father, I thank you for your love and mercy. I thank you for your forgiveness. Uh, Father, I thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit that we don't have to walk this out alone. 
but we've actually had your love poured in our hearts to mold us and shape us and change us. Uh, So Father, just help us. Help us this week. Be that minister of reconciliation to the world around us. Be that love and that mercy to those that are hurting, those that are scared, um, those that need you. They need hope. They need faith, Father. And you've given us that light to show them the way. Um, So Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, Remember, no men's meeting this week. It's a fifth Tuesday, so we'll have men's meeting next week. So y'all have a good week.